James chapter 1 is, uh, is where we're at. If, if you were with us last week, and if you ever miss any 710, you kind of want to know where we've been. We, we do have a podcast that you can kind of track with past messages and uh, kind of see where, where, where we've been before. Um, but we just kind of last week talked about this tension that James brings up for us as followers of Jesus. Um, and I realize not everybody in the room would say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. But this is what James presents, those of us who would say we are followers of Jesus, uh, is that if you have faith, that is, if you have a confidence in God that he is who he says he is, um, then your faith should work. It doesn't mean that you have to work to get faith, but it means that when you have faith, your faith should work. It should show, it should show up. So um, we believe that the work for us to have faith was done um, by Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why we sing to him. That's why we make much of him. That's why there's a big old banner that says all of life is all for Jesus on the outside. Um, so we don't think we have to work for our faith. But we, when we have the faith that the work of Christ has provided for us, uh, what James is telling us, and really the whole of Scripture tells us, is that that faith should work. That faith should show up. Uh, and so we're going to take kind of a deeper dive into, um, into that tonight. And, and James gets really, really practical with us. Let me just read uh, James chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 13 through 18 predominantly tonight. Uh, and that text will be up on the screen. Harley does a great job kind of tracking with us there. Um, and, and then we'll get uh, into it. I do have to kind of start by this disclaimer tonight. I have the extreme displeasure uh, of being an expert in what we're going to talk about tonight. James is going to bring to us the topic of temptation, um, and I've got a lot of... uh, experience. Um, but, but I really say that um, mostly so that you know um, that I am not immune to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, and, a, and a lot of times, and, I, and the way that church traditionally, this tangent, the way that church is traditionally kind of set up, it can send a false message to you because you can walk into a room like this or a room like this, the, the one we meet in on Sunday, and you see chairs all kind of lined up and they're all facing a stage. Uh, and then there's people up on that stage. And it can give you, just by the way, that the rooms are, are set up, and I love this room, and I love that room, but just the way that church is kind of lined up, you can start to think like, oh, those people are important. Those people have it all together. Those are the people that we should all listen to, um, and yes, I do. I would appreciate it if you listen, um, but, but I really like that we're all kind of on a level floor here in this space, um, and, and, and be, that's not just kind of the way that it's set up, just, that's just how it is. This is level floor, level field tonight, what we're talking about, um, and so I just, I, I don't know, maybe that's just more for me. I just feel like I really need to put that disclaimer out there. James chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, James is saying. And he said this before, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray. Just ask God to help us with this tonight. Father God, um, I love what we have already said about you. Um, God, that you are our shepherd in in the midst of our wandering. And God, tonight, as we... um, just look really point blank at what your word says about our 
affinity towards wandering. Um, God, the way that we are enticed, the way that we are dragged away, God, the way that our sin grows and gives birth and God kills the things that are most important to us and most important to you. Um, God, I just pray for your grace and your mercy. Holy Spirit, I pray for um, the gift of preaching tonight. I pray that you'd just interrupt me um, with things that you want us to hear. And God, I just pray most of all, we hear from you tonight. Um, and God, I just, I pray just what James has said to us, that, that we're not just hearers, God, but that we, we do what it is you say that we're supposed to do. Um, God, not, we, we, we know we don't have to earn your approval or earn your acceptance, um, but God, we want to live the way that you call us to live just because you've given us life, uh, a life that's more abundant. So help us now, Jesus, I love you. Uh, it's in your name I pray, amen. Um, there is an importance in understanding temptation. Um, and, and there are some things that we need to know about temptation. The first thing I want you to know, if you, if you take notes, some of these things might be helpful for you. Um, the first thing you need to know about temptation that we see in the scripture, temptations are not trials. Temptations are not trials. Last week we talked about the different trials that we kind of come up again, but temptations are different than trials. Trials are meant for our proving. Trials are meant for our strengthening, for our relationship with God. Temptations are not from God, and, and they are designed for our destruction. So trials are designed for our strengthening, for our growth. Temptation designed for our destruction. So um, another thing to kind of just keep in mind with that, when you are in the midst of a trial, that's when it seems to, that you seem to be the most vulnerable to temptation, uh, um, if, if you've ever been in the midst of some kind of hardship, maybe it's a physical hardship, maybe it's a financial hardship, maybe it's a relational hardship, some type of trial, those seem to be the moments when your guard is down and when you're most vulnerable to temptation. And it just seemed that whatever that temptation is, maybe you wouldn't have even noticed it or maybe it wouldn't have even appealed to you outside of that moment and trial, but but. But the the enemy just has a particular way of kind of custom fitting that temptation for you in the midst of that particular trial. So the first thing, temptations are not trials. Um, The second thing, verse 13 says, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted. And, and we are all tempted. And, and, and some, I've heard pastors say, you know, you being tempted, that is a, that in, in many ways is a proof of your salvation. It's a proof of your walk with God. Um, and, and one guy said, if you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil, it might be that you're headed in the same direction. And I, I think there is some, there is some truth to that. And, and I do know that the deeper the level of intimacy with God, it seems that the greater pressure of temptation. But temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So we have this high priest who has experienced what we will experience. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, I'll just read this to you. In Luke chapter 4, there's this incredible encounter that Jesus has with Satan. Listen to this. In in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, 
Like, notice how all of these start. Satan is going to kind of test the very identity of who Jesus is. And many times, your temptation will be tied to a testing of your identity as a son or daughter of God. Um, The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll gi- I will give you all the authority and all the splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll be yours. And Jesus said, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then finally, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. He said, if you are the son of God. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to your test. And when the devil had finished all this this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So we just see in that passage of scripture, in that one place in scripture, um, that it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. And what's very interesting is that he's tempted with the very th- three things that you and I are, are, are tempted with. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but, the, but from the world. So those phrases, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust, pride of life, that's not, those aren't phrases that we would use very often. A different way to interpret that would be there, we have this desire to indulge, right? So whether it's sex or food or things that are pleasure or whatever, we have a desire to indulge. We have a desire to acquire, right? So we always want more of something. Maybe it's a tangible thing. Maybe it's something else, but we always have a desire to acquire. And then lastly, we have a desire to impress, And if you had to look at the things that you're tempted with, they're going to fall into one of those categories. Yeah, I've got a desire to indulge. I just want more. I want to deny myself nothing. I want just kind of more of it. Or I'm going to have a desire to acquire. I've got to have more things, right? So indulge would be like, I've got to have more experiences. I've got to feel more feelings. Acquire would be, I've got to have more stuff. And impress is, I have to have more approval. Or I've got to have people think a certain way about me. So desire to indulge, a desire to acquire, a desire to impress. And temptations happen in all shapes and sizes. So first, we, we, we see that temptations are not trials. Second, we see that temptations are coming. It's not if, but when. And then third, um, we see that God is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt with evil. So you cannot blame our inability to resist temptation on the fact that God is tempting us, right? So what James is, what James is saying, when you are faced with a temptation, not if, when you are faced with a temptation, we should be able to size it up, identify that God is not part of it. Now, trials, he will cause or allow, again, in order to strengthen us or to make us steadfast in our faith and our relationship with him. But God is not in your temptation. This is so important for some of you because some of you kind of use that as an excuse and some of your kind of habitual following of whatever your particular temptation is. Because some of you are involved right now in things that God is not in, Right? So God, God is not in you hooking up, right? God is not in your, you pushing the line physically, right? And just a little caveat, like women, as a rule in life, until he puts a ring on your finger, he shouldn't put a hand on your body. That was just me being a dad for a second there, right? So 
if God is not in it, you should be out of it. So God is not in you being shady. God is not in your lying. God is not in your cheating. God is not in your gossip. God is not in your overspending. God is not in your drunkenness, your bitterness. Like God is not in it. And you need to know, if you want to beat temptation, you need to know, if God is not in it, I need to get out of it. Verse 14 says, look, you need to know what sets you off. You need to know what, is suscept- what you're susceptible to. Verse 14 talks about, James says, look, your own desire. And James is talking about our kind of attraction towards sin and towards idols, our affinity towards idolatry. Temptation springs from this evil impulse. It lures us. It entices us. It's not that the devil necessarily takes a back seat. We're gonna, James is going to talk about him later on this letter. But James is talking about our own evil desire here. He, he's talking about the, the kind of the enemy that's in me. Like I can be my own worst enemy. So he's saying, look, you need to know what are the things, what are, what are the things that I'm susceptible to? When I talk about my own desire, what are those things? All right, briefly, I, I want to really break this down, make this super practical and helpful for you. Because we could get in this conversation about temptation. It's just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I lost before we even started. So I want to give you some things that are from the scripture that will help you in kind of as you navigate temptation, as you essentially fight against temptation. So there's two things that you need to know cognitively, and then there's three things that we need to do so that we can avoid the difficulties that come with giving into temptation. Um, the first thing you need to know, you can know the right thing, but do the wrong thing. You can know the right thing, but do the, the wrong thing. You might have all the right information. You might come to go to church on a, a Sunday or come to a 710 thing or you listen to a podcast or you're reading a good book or you're, or you're reading the good book or whatever, right? You might have all the right information. You might have all the right desires. Um, but when we, when we don't fulfill them in a way that honors God, we get dragged away and enticed. It, the language that James is using here, it's this idea of a, of a baited hook and a, and a fish. So I don't know if anybody in here is like a fisherman, but right, the way that that works, like the bait goes out, right? The fish sees the bait, but he's blind to the hook. That's the whole idea of fishing, that the fish would see the bait, that he'd be enticed by the bait, but yet at the same time be blind to the, to the hook. And when you or I want something really bad, that's exactly what happens to us. Because our wants overtake our will. Our passions dominate our, our reason, the things that we know that are right. Our passions overthrow the, the reason, they overthrow our, our will. And in that moment, just like the fish, we trade the immediate for the ultimate. Because the ultimate is God saying, look, I have life for you. I have a more abundant life for you. I've prescribed a way for you to live in a certain way that's going to bring you joy, that's going to bring you satisfaction. That's what's ultimate. And he says, do it in the context that I've provided. Do it in the way that I've prescribed for you to walk. But the immediate says, if you feel like you want it now, do whatever it takes to get it now. Don't worry about the hook. Just go for the bait. Information will not change it for you because you can know the right thing and you can do the wrong thing. That's how you explain how so many people eat at McDonald's, right? 
Jim Gaffigan, who's a comedian, you should, I was going to show the bit, but whatever. But it's really great um, how he says it. He, he's, he's talking about this phenomenon. <laughs> he's like, we've seen the documentaries. We've read all the stories. We don't even know where the meat comes from. But yet, six billion people here are eating, are eating hamburgers. And he said, because, because the right information doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do the right thing, Right? He, and he talks about we all get to kit this McDonald's denial, right? Because nobody goes in there innocent, all right? There's a giant yellow M on the outside of the building. It's not like you walk in and you think, oh, I thought I was at the library. No, like you know where you're going. You know what you're doing. And, and even though you might have all the right information, you might know like this is not going to be very healthy for me. This is not going to be very good for me. You still go there. And whatever your particular McDonald's is, if we use that illustration, you know it's bad for you, but yet you do it anyway. So the point is, what James is trying to say, know what your weaknesses are. Know what they are. Because maybe, maybe for you it's sex, maybe for you it's power, maybe for you it's money, maybe for you it's attention, maybe it's stuff. It's just whatever your particular thing is. It's a, I know I'm older in the room, but um, anybody ever play Contra on Nintendo, right? So if I say up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, a, B, A, B, select star. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So there's this old game on Nintendo. Just, it was the controller, like the square thing. It, there were like three buttons. That's why I could actually play this game. Um, but you would put in this code and it'd give you like 99 lives or whatever. And we're like that. We have like, there's just a particular code. There's a particular thing that unlocks for us like that temptation. So your temptation might be one thing and you would fall into that and you'd be enticed and you'd be dragged away by that. And I was like, that has no, zero appeal to me. But then for, for me, I might have something that would have zero appeal for you, but know what your thing is. So if I go back to the fishing illustration, that the language that James is using here, when you go fishing for a particular fish, you use a particular type of lure. Depending on where you are, depending on what type of water you're fishing in, what, what kind of fish you're going after, you use a particular type of lure. And Satan knows that. And what James is trying to encourage us in is whatever your thing is, whatever the particular bait that works best on you, you know what it is. Run from it. Run from it. There are, however, times in life, I was talking to guys at lunch today, where it just seems like those kind of things like just kind of pop up, right? Like somehow Facebook just knows like the thing that's going to get you. Like MySpace, if you're still on MySpace, two of you. Um, Connor, I think, is on MySpace. You can follow him. Uh, no, he's not, but he does wear cargo shorts. Anyway, but... Um, <laughs> Like, it just, it'll just happen. I'm, I'm in a fantasy football league with some guys, and then, you know, I was just telling them today, I was like, you'll kind of, you'll be checking your team, whatever, you scroll down, and then there's, like, some, like, wildly inappropriate picture, and it's like, do you want lower mortgage rates? And I was like, I do. And, I, you know, like, you're just, and it just kind of gets you, and they're like, man, how does that happen? I'm trying to do everything I can to, um, you know, avoid this. I want to stay away from kind of what sets me off, and it just so it just shows up. It's just, it's just there. And whatever your particular, whatever your particular temptation that you're susceptible to is, it just, that happens. So yes, we run from it. We have to realize that it's, that it's there. But, and we have to be vigilant. We have to be recognizing this is the thing I need to flee. This is the thing I need to run from. So the question that you have to ask yourself, because it's not enough to just know the right thing. It's not enough to just do the right thing. But the question that you have to ask yourself is this. Where in your life, where in your life do you know the right thing to do, but yet you're doing the wrong thing? 
Where in your life do you know the right thing? Like you know what the right thing is. You, you, can't, you can't blame it on, like I never heard it. No one's ever taught it to me. I've never been convicted by it. I've never been confronted with it. I've never failed there before. I've never been hurt by it before. No, no, where do you know? Like where in your life do you know this is the right thing to do, but yeah, I'm still doing the wrong thing. The second thing that we got to wrestle with is um, the second thing for us to know is you can choose if you fall, but you can't choose to fall out. You can choose if you fall, but you can't choose the fallout. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been tricked into this line of thinking, but if you've ever thought, well, well, who cares? Like, who cares if I fall into temptation? Like, who cares if I go if I chase this thing down? Who cares if I do something stupid? Because it's fun, right? And I mean, this is the time in my life, you know, I'm like 18 to 30, 40, whatever you are in this room. If I mean, if I'm going to have fun, this is the time. So who really cares? Like, who cares if I do something stupid? Who cares if I shouldn't do any, any the things that I know I'm not supposed to be doing? Like, what, who really cares? Like, everybody else is doing it, so why does it, why does it really matter? Because here, here's what matters. What matters is, is what follows stupid is the fallout. You can choose whether or not you're going to fall, but you can't choose the fallout. You don't have to take the bait. You don't, you don't have to. You, you don't have to cheat in school to, to get ahead, right? There's plenty of people who don't cheat who actually do pretty well in school. I wasn't one of them, but they're out there. I've heard of them, right? You, you, you don't have to bow down to, to pornography to satisfy your lust. You don't have to lie or gossip about other people to gain approval or acceptance. You don't have to be dishonest to be profitable in business. You don't have to envy and covet what other people have. You can actually be content with what you have. You don't have to let selfish desires tear your relationships apart. Because in verse 15, what James is telling us, look, you don't have to choose to follow temptation, but there will be a fallout if you do, and you don't get to choose that. You get to choose whether or not you will fall, but you do not get to choose the fallout. James says that when you fall into temptation, sin is, is birthed. It's conceived at that, mo- at that moment. When I, when I do this message, I usually talk about um, like birth and conception here, and it makes everybody super uncomfortable, so I won't do that to you. I'm going to trust everybody knows how that all goes down, right? If not, you can talk to Jed. They just had a baby, so he'll, he'll fill you <laughs> up. Um, when you fall into temptation, that sin, that rebellion, that offense against the Holy God, it's birthed right there. And it takes some time to be like grown up, it grows, you know? And, and it leads ultimately what James is saying to death. It cuts you off from what's life-giving and from what's most important, the death of the most important things in your life. He says, he says after desire. Now, here's where we got to kind of pull off the side of the road just for a second. Desire in and of itself, not bad, okay? God has created you in a amazing way to have God-given desires. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say most people in this room desire relationship, right? They want boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, potentially maybe even husband, wife, right? They, 
most people in this room, maybe that's the whole sole reason why you're here. So listen up, right? God has put, I believe, that desire in you. The, the Bible teaches that, actually. That's a good desire. And what God has said is, I've got an incredible design for how that desire is going to work itself out and how it's going to bring you incredible satisfaction, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And God says, I've got it all laid out for how that works. Now, what we say is that desire is stronger than what you've prescribed for me, God. And we go out of order and we try to fulfill that desire and maybe short-term physical, but not long-term. Maybe short-term emotional, but that actually gets way worse. And spiritual, no way. All bad. So don't think like, oh my gosh, this is just one of those church talks where he's saying like, you know, just keep your hands to yourself and don't like be with anybody and don't do anything fun. No, no, listen, God gave you desires for pleasure and satisfaction and joy. And he says, I want you to pursue joy. And I have laid out for you the way that you find it. First in me and then the good gifts that I give. I want you to enjoy the good gifts, but I want you to enjoy me first. And if you, if, you can, if you can embrace that, you really will have life everlasting. So James talks about how this child matures, starts small, ends up taking over. I, I've told this story in here before, um, but in Florida, there was a woman who, um, when the police came to her house, um, they found her dead and her kitchen floor. There was blood everywhere and there was a, a a knife like a like a butcher knife on her counter and the police searched her body and uh, there were no puncture wounds anywhere on her body but there's there's blood everywhere and they followed the trail of blood kind of into the next room out of the out of the kitchen and there um, they found like this 25 foot boa constrictor and as they looked at the boa constrictor there were puncture wounds all over it and it was laying in a pile of blood and what they kind of got from this scene, um, this woman, this was her pet boa constrictor, and she was preparing dinner. She was like chopping vegetables or something at the kitchen counter. And what had happened is she had allowed the snake to kind of curl around her feet. I guess if you own that kind of animal, that's what they do. Uh, and it just started, this Florida's crazy, y'all. So they started, uh, the snake just kind of, kind of, um, curling around here, curling around, and finally it got up, it started to work its way up and began to constrict and begin to constrict. And as this snake was killing this woman, she then panicked and took the knife and began to stab the snake, but the snake killed her before the snake had died from the puncture wounds. I don't know if that story is true. I tell it all the time in here, <laughs> but it's, it's a great illustration <laughs> um, for this because that... That is what we do with sin. We have these little pet sins that we coddle and that we raise and that we like feed on the side. And what we do with our sin is we're we're not busy killing sin, so our sin is busy killing us. And we allow sin to just kind of hang out and curl around us and curl around us and curl around us until we panic because we realize, oftentimes too late, this thing is going to kill me. This is literally going to squeeze the life out of me. 
And a lot of times, it's too late. And so whatever, whatever your kind of custom-tailored sin is, it will grow and it will take you out. When you enter into temptation, you enter into a fallout that you do not get to choose. It's, it's that serious. I mean, James uses this, this language of entice, this picture of fishing. It's so great because that's exactly what happens to the fish. Because the fish sees the bait, and for a moment, for a moment, that impulse takes over, and the fish is just like, that is the thing I've been wanting to eat all morning. It's here. I go after it. It's fun for a, for a moment. It tastes good for a moment. It's good. And then the hook gets set. You get dragged out. Next thing you know, you are filleted. That is the, that is the path that, that falling into t- your temptation will, will, will take you. That's the journey of the fish, and that's the journey of, of us. So James is telling us, look, you need to take this seriously. Just because you know what's right doesn't mean you'll do what's right. And you can choose whether or not you fall, but you cannot choose the fall out. Okay, so what do we do? Three things quickly. What do we do? Um, we resist it. Talking about temptation. We resist it. We own it. And we confess it. We resist it. We own it. And we confess it. Um, I, I heard a, a pastor use this phrase, and I think it's, I love it, actually. Um, he said, we need in our lives a revival of resistance or a renewal of resistance. And in James chapter 4, so if, just, if you just go over just one little spot there, in James chapter 4, listen to what he says here. Um, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. James doesn't sound like a huge, like, fun guy to hang out with. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Okay, let's work through this. Resist it, own it, confess it. There needs to be a renewal of resistance in your life. When you draw near to God and you resist the devil, God gives you power in your temptation. You need to resist the devil. For some of you, this is going to be incredibly difficult. Some of you, you also need to resist people in your life. Now, I know, like, especially this stage of life, and and I've been, like, you know, hanging out with college students, young adults for, like, 13 years. So I just kind of, I know that gig. Like, for you to say no to somebody else who wants to hang out with you is a very difficult thing. But for some of you, you need to resist people because there are other people in your life who want you to sin with them. And you know who those people are. You might even be that person. Resist the devil, which might mean resisting people. Here's why this is tough. Because culture makes you feel like if you don't join them, you're judging them. And that's false. That's a lie. You cannot join somebody and not judge them. Just because you don't join them doesn't mean that you're judging them. And you need to feel the freedom to say no to people who you know are going to drag you to a place that you don't want to go to do things that you don't want to do. They're going to drag you to a fallout that you cannot control. But you can control whether or not you go with them. You can control whether or not you are with them. The Bible tells us there is an enemy who seeks to to steal, kill, and destroy everything about us to our very soul. And you are going to have to draw near to God to resist Satan in this battle. Um, I, I was telling these guys at lunch today, like, there, there is a prayer that I pray 
when I'm just, and when I'm being enticed, when I know that this temptation is like right there, like I'm, it's right there at that moment, I, um, I will pray very simply and I hope profoundly, God, right now, I'm under attack. Like there is something fighting for my heart. I need to be saved from it. I cannot fight this alone. I need you to fight for me. My, my heart is under attack in this. And, and you, you need to know that it's, it's very real and you need to draw near to God to resist Satan in this battle. Revive your resistance. Draw near to God. And James says, look, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So how do, how do we draw near to God? You arm yourself with an awareness of what God has given you. God, right now I'm... I'm being drawn to this thing which promises to satisfy, but I know what I have in you is way more satisfying. I know that the gifts that you've given me are way more satisfying than what this false thing is trying to tell me that, that is true. I know that it, it only wants to steal and kill and destroy, but you want to give life and life more abundant. I know that this thing is promising pleasure and promising satisfaction and, and promising acceptance and promising approval, but your word says that in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You, you tell me that I am prized by majesty, that you gave supremely so that I might be one with you, so that I might be put back together with you. Rehearse. Rehearse an awareness of what God has done for you and who he is. And the only way for you to know what God has done is what he has said about himself in his word. Um, another way, another way in, in to resist is don't go to the places of temptation. Don't go to the places of temptation. Um, my... my wife and I, when we were dating, it was long distance most of the time. We dated like long distance for like five years, which, um, which was brutal, but was actually very good for us. But it didn't keep us from failing physically and sexually. And the, towards the end of our marriage, when we were engaged, um, we actually lived in the same town, which was not, no good. Um, but she lived with, like, this other family, and I had my own place, and we had, like, no money. Uh, and, you know, we want to go on dates and do stuff. And I was like, why don't you just come to my house? Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. And, and I... There are so many parts of our story that I hate. But what I love is how God is, has restored and redeemed that story and, I think, given us our story so that we could stand in the gap with young adults for 13 years now and college students and say, uh, don't go there. We did it all bad. Stay away. But here's what happens, and this happens to you too. I know it. You go to a place that you know is going to be a place of temptation. You know it's going to be a place of failure. But you kind of talk yourself into it like, no, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And then when you do fail, you almost act surprised. Like, how did this happen? Well, like, well because you're idiots. And you do the same thing every time when you go to the same place. 
Resist the place in places of temptation. If there's an open window, by open window, I mean an open window to something you have access to that you know is your particular thing. So maybe it is like, okay, it's my boyfriend or girlfriend's apartment. It's the same place we go. Or maybe it's a particular website. Or maybe it's being online at, just in general. Or maybe it's like, okay, every time I go with them, I get drunk. Or every time I go with him, I get higher. Every time I do this, I lie. Every time I do this, I steal or I cheat. Or you know what? Every time I look at Pinterest, I just covet all these things I don't have. Is Pinterest still thing. I don't know. I'm just like making stuff up. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But you know, you know, and it always has the same, it always has the same trajectory. You're like, you go to the place you know you shouldn't go. You do the, with the people you know you shouldn't be with. And then you act surprised when you have the same failure that you have all the time. Listen, if you are in the person that you're dating, you don't want to jeopardize your sexual purity. Don't put yourself in jeopardizing situations. It's that simple. Don't go to the places that you shouldn't go to pretend like you don't want to satisfy that desire, right? Don't go to McDonald's pretending like you don't want McDonald's. Avoid what is wrong. Do what's right. That's what James is trying to say. And and, in fact, in chapter 4, verse 17, listen how plainly James says it. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, you know what you ought to do, and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Uh, one, of the, one, of the easy, one of the great things about teaching through James is that I, I think I don't have to explain a lot of it. I still talk way too much. But James just says, look, if you know that it's a thing that you shouldn't do and you don't do it, did I say that right? If you know it's the thing that you shouldn't do and you do do it, whatever, um, it's sin. It's just that plain. It's more than, and, and listen here, it's more than just resisting wrong. It's more than just resisting wrong. It's about rising up to do what's right. The church is not, God is not glorified just because it's a bunch of people who are resisting what's wrong, right? That is not what makes Jesus famous. What makes Jesus famous is that, yes, I do resist what is wrong, but I'm rising up to do what is right. That's where the power is. Okay, the second thing. So first, you resist it, okay? Second, if you do sin, you own it. Don't excuse it. If you sin, first resist it. But if you do sin, you own it. Don't excuse it. Don't blame others. Don't explain it away, right? Call it what it is, right? Well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't gossip. I was just, I, I really, I want, I want you to pray about her. That's the whole reason that I'm just telling you this horrible story about her. Because, you know, I know you don't know her, but man, if you would just pray for her. It's not gossip. I just want you to pray for her, right? No, uh, it's gossip, right? Call it what it is. If you sin, own it. Don't explain away. And then lastly, this is where the freedom is found in this message, and we're, and we're done. As soon as you own it, confess it. James says, wash your hands purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, and wail, and change your laughter to mourning. Why does James have to say that? Because we laugh off sin. We we treat it lightly. We, we, We make jokes about it. Some of the, the guys around here, um, you know, they'll ask me stories about like when I was in college and I was a complete dumpster fire train wreck of a person. Um, 
And a lot of the stories, honestly, are, are funny. But it, it breaks my heart to tell them. But we live in a culture where we take pictures of our sin, we take videos of our sin, and we, we put them out there for, for people to like them. They're, they're, they are our statuses. Just think about that. Think about that. Your sin in certain contexts is your status? That's why James says, weep, wail, turn your laughter into, into mourning. We treat sin like it's entertainment. When the Bible says it's more like Ebola, you know what Ebola is? The flesh-eating virus, right? Eats you inside out, pretty gnarly, kills you, deforms you. Don't treat Ebola like it's entertainment. Confess it. And when you confess it, the scripture says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First John chapter 2 says, look, we have Jesus who's a sacrifice over all of our sin. First John 1 John 1.6 says, look, if you live in habitual sin that you don't confess and you make that a normal part of your life, you're lying to yourself and the truth is not in you. That's strong. But that's a word of freedom. That's a word of freedom to you. You can't be in intimate fellowship with God and live in habitual, unconfessed sin. Resist it. Do not yield to sin. Have a revival of resistance. Own it. Don't call it less than it is. Don't blame somebody else. Don't blame your circumstance. Own it and confess it. Don't hide it. And here's the, here's the last part on that, on the, on the confessing part. Just because you messed up doesn't mean that you have to give up, okay? Just because you messed up doesn't mean you have to give up. Um, I'm not too keen on diets, but there's a lot of times like I've been on a diet for like a day, and I'll be like, well, okay, I already ate pizza, so I might as well have a milkshake. I already had a milkshake, so I might as well have a hot apple pie. I had a hot apple pie, so I might as well, whatever. And, th- and that's kind of how we are. And your particular thing, we're like, well, we already went this far. I'm already buzzed. I might as well get faded. I've already told one lie. What's another lie going to do? I've already cheated on one test. I've already lied about this one thing at work. I've already stole this. And and that's just how I do it. Just because you've messed up doesn't mean you have to give up. Your failure isn't fatal. I'm like a living testament to that. Preach and rehearse the gospel, this good news, the Lord says, behold, I'm making all things new. I'm making it all new. So just because you've messed up doesn't mean that you have to give up because God hasn't given up on you, right? There's this book called the Jesus Storybook Bible that we read to our kids, and there's at the very end when it's talking about Revelation, new heaven, come to earth, um, it, there's this line that I just, I absolutely love, and it's like, God is making everything sad untrue. That's the story. That is what God is doing in your life. God's taking everything that a lie, that's a lie, everything that is sad, he's making it untrue. Behold, I'm restoring all things. Don't give up. Grow up. 
And keep that resistance mindset so you can be mature in your relationship with God so that we can be the people of God. So when people look at us, they'll say, your faith is not a fiction because your faith is working. You have a faith that works. So here, here's, what, here's what we're going to do. Um, the guys are going to come back up and lead us in a few more songs. But I, I, we've really been feeling this in the book of James that we don't just, we really don't want to just hear it. But we want to we be about it. Like we want to do it. And so we're, we're going to have a moment. And I realize that some of you are new. Some of you are not church people and all that stuff. This is not designed to make you feel awkward or uncomfortable. Um, but we do think this is just really important. Um, we want to have a, we want to have a, a sacred moment if we can, just with what God is saying to us, there's text and what we really want God to do in us and through us. Um, and so I, I want to just ask kind of in this that you don't, don't be a spectator, but really be engaged with this and, and be honest with God. And, and there's a few questions that you just kind of have to wrestle with. We're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer together, but I want you just to kind of think about some of these questions. Um, where in your life do you need to rise up with a new resistance to temptation? Like where in your life, and, and, and you know, I mean, I, I realize when I list off sins, I just, I, I kind of list off the same ones maybe because they're, they're all my sins. But, but you know in your life, like where do you need to rise up with a new resistance to temptation? Where do you need to own some of the things that you've been excusing? Where do you need to just like call it what it is, you know? You, 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 know it, you know it's sin, and maybe it's easy for you to, like, dress it up and call it something else because everybody else is doing it or because it's not as bad as other things, you know. But you, you know, you, you, you know, you know it's, it's sin. And what do you need to take serious and confess to God? So here's what I want you to do. Kind of around your tables, um, we're going to do just a, a brief moment of prayer. Don't you know, don't make this into like a bunch of talking. And, and, and here's, here's one of the things to it. I, I think a lot of times when we go to places where someone preaches or teaches or something like that, we, when, that, when we leave there, it's an evaluation of, how, of the teaching. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to evaluate your life in light of the teaching. I know the teaching is not that good. That's not what we're concerned about. But I want you to evaluate your life in light of the of the teaching, and then around your around your tables, um, I want you to pray for three things specifically. Um, one, God, that you would lead us from temptation, so that God save us, save us from this, lead us from temptation. Um, secondly, God, would you deliver us from like current temptation? Like there's something like even today, maybe tonight, you, you know, you just you know whatever it is deliver it from concurrent temptation, current habitual sin. And then lastly, God, would you lead us to you? So would you lead us from temptation? Would you deliver us from a current temptation? So protect us in the future, deliver us now, and then lead us ultimately to you. And then the very last thing I want to say as a word of freedom, if you've been dragged away the Bible is very clear that the kindness of God will bring you back to where you belong.